This is Jewel and Desmond Guy, authors of Dear Black Men and Dear Black Women, and you are listening to Mastermind. You are now Welcome to Mastermind, the home of black excellence and self-mastery. Yes, your host, Mr. G. Welcome to the program. Thank you for joining us today on the journey towards self-mastery. Welcome to part two of our talk with Jewel and Desmond Guy. In our first interview, we discussed the profound book, Dear Black Men. And today we will be looking at the sequel, Dear Black Women. Welcome, guys. Thank you for coming on. Appreciate having you. How are you guys doing today? We're doing well. Thank you for having us. So, yeah, I, I really enjoyed looking at Dear Black Women. And I think there's a lot that we just are disconnected from, I feel like, as far as black men and, and black women. And I feel like the books are kind of bringing that together in regards to things that we just don't know about each other and, you know, stuff that we're going through. Before we kind of get started, I wanted to talk about our, you know, childhoods and what messages we got, you know, what you got as a black girl looking at other black women. You can talk about Desmond, what he got growing up as a black boy. I feel like what I saw um, in black women growing up was a tireless life, never real opportunities to rest. Um, I felt like my mother, especially, she's a nurse, and I know that she worked multiple jobs. So I can remember being in fourth grade and seeing her briefly and just knowing that she was in her room sleeping just trying to recuperate um, and also going through a divorce at the same time. Right. Um, So I saw highlights of happiness um, covered by the clouds of sadness. Um, I saw a grandmother who was a churchgoer who um, was all things Jesus and um, didn't have the greatest marriage, right? I didn't see what I felt like was love and care and um, true affection that was mutual on both sides. Um, I saw her work. I saw her cook. I saw her clean. And it just always seemed like it was never ending. Um, so to be honest, that was the idea of of black womanhood for me that we would just make things happen um at all costs including the cost of ourselves that is powerful when did you realize that that was not the way but it was the wrong way in regards to what you saw and when you yourself were becoming a woman mm, i mean it's probably when i became a parent I was like really processing, like, how did they do this? (laughs) I don't know how they actually did all of these things. Um, I mean, I've had one child and at the time was single on the other side of the country and just trying to figure it all out. I mean, we never really had conversations about um, my mother coming of age and, you know, 
getting married and becoming a woman and, and what that transition looked like. So it was very like trial and error for me. It's like, okay, you, you know, you're going to get out of high school. You, you got to find something to do. You either going to college, get a job. You got to do something, right? It wasn't this, this clear, smooth path of, okay, well, this is what I was doing. What are you thinking about doing? It wasn't, um, we weren't emotionally intelligent or we didn't have the words, um, to express all of that at that time. So I won't say that it was like the wrong way to do it. I would say that it was just, not the way that I wanted to do it and found it hard already doing it in the way that I was doing. I was an engineer on the other side of the country. And I think to most people like, they're like, you made it, you did it. And I'm like, no, this is still hard. <laughs> this is challenging. And um just dealing with all of the emotions behind um being a single mom, being away from my family, finally thinking on my own and actually having my own thoughts. Um, it was a lot to process. Hmm. Thank you for sharing that. Um, Desmond, what was your introduction to black women? Like what growing up, what was your vantage point? Um, so I think Jules said very well with, uh, tireless, um, the beautiful struggle, um, Domineering, um, as she said, never resting too much. Um, take charge. What I say goes. Um, anger sometimes. Making ends meet. Yeah, I think I'm, 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 I'm gonna end it right there. <laughs> Got you. Um, so from a relationship vantage point, um, Jewel, what did you feel like your role was just as a woman in a, actually, before we get into relationships, I want to really have a solid, uh, definition of what black womanhood means to you. And then we'll identify relationship roles and everything. So when you think about black womenhood, um, is it just womenhood? Should the black even be included? Uh, what, what do you think about? <laughs> I think these are all good questions. I think being a black woman, we're cultivated in a certain way. Um, I can't speak to anybody else's womanhood because I don't know what that looks like. Um, but for me personally, I think I'm, I am still gathering what black womanhood is to me. I think where I want to start is what does my humanity look like? Like, what does my being look like? How do I get to show up just being me? Um, I think we talked about last time how we, we get grouped into these spaces. You know, we should do this. We should do that. And this is your role. But it's like, I don't think all of us came here with like this batched thinking. <laughs> like we are divinely written on each person, like who we are what we contribute to the world and our like intrinsic attributes. So for me personally, I am, I am learning what womanhood is. I think some of the things that I saw when I was younger, it's like debunking the myths behind that and trying to find the best way um, to commune with other women in spaces, whether it's like through my dance classes or whether it's now through conversations with my mother, because we're both at different places of growth, 
right? Or conversations with my friends who are also women who are coming into their own, who are mothers, right? And still trying to figure this thing out. Um, I definitely don't have one solid definition because I feel like we're always evolving and changing. Um, I think one thing that I do stick near to, I think we are creators. I think we are true nurturers. I think we are um, magical. <laughs> I think we make things happen, right? We we make things better. We sprinkle a little juju on it and we make the things that were small become this bigger thing. Um, that is what I see mostly in all of the, the women that I have interacted with and the ability to just make something great mm-hmm. out of something that, that starts off really small. Thank you for sharing that with us. Um, before we get into your book, uh, you have an open letter that you start off with in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you would do us the honor of reading us that open letter, that would be great. I don't know if I read this out loud before. <laughs> uh, first time. <laughs> so, dear black women, can I be honest? I knew this day would come. And for some reason, I wasn't looking forward to it. Why not? Simply put, I felt inadequate. Each time a black woman asked if there would be a book for her, I shrank on the inside and was immediately filled with doubt and fear of not being able to speak to her situations or needs. This bothered me. However, I understand that fear works to keep us silent. Our fear tells us that we aren't the right person for the job, that no one will understand us, that we should keep our stories to ourselves. But what would happen if we decided not to give in to our fears and share our experiences anyway? Eventually, someone will begin to listen. When we decided to start writing, I understood almost immediately that this book would be different. I would finally be standing up for me, for the little girl with the yellow and white romper and red high top tennis shoes who was fondled by a family member during visits and the frustration and the silence that she carried into her adulthood. For my younger self who battled with anxiety and depression and always wondered if I was good enough. For my teenage self, who while carrying my trauma moved from relationship to relationship without a clear idea of what I wanted and therefore couldn't communicate my needs. For my adult self, who is learning how to be more aware, compassionate, and loving to myself on this journey called life. It is our shared stories and experiences that bring us together. And with this in mind, we offer you this book. As you read and work through this book, please know that you are loved, respected, and cherished. My husband has graciously agreed to stand in the gap by providing apologies from a black man that are long overdue. He pours his love, appreciation, and desire for healing into every word. You deserve to be safe. You deserve to be heard and understood without judgment. You deserve to heal everything. Mm, Man, I definitely deserve like a snap right there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Very powerful, man. Um, you, you mentioned in that, that 
you had a fear of writing the book, like after you wrote Dear Black Men. Um, mm-hmm. Why did you feel so much pressure in regards to writing that? Mm. Um, the easy answer is to say, I don't know. <laughs> the hard answer um, is to say that I didn't want black women to feel like um, I knew everything, right? Or was trying to tell them something like we all carry stories. We all have carried things that we needed to share silently, or we, we have all been like forced to hold on to some of our truths. And I wanted to be like really delicate with that. Um, it was important to me that black women really felt loved and seen and heard inside of this book. Um, and I didn't want to offend anybody, <laughs> but, um, I also know that some of the greatest books and some of the greatest truths offend when we're not ready to hear it. So that's something that I have to accept as well. But yeah, I kind of just like bounce back and forth. People will come to the table and I'm like, nah, I ain't ready. <laughs> I don't know if we're going to do that. <laughs> just really hiding in the shadows for real. Um, but I think even in this moment, as I'm talking about it, maybe I just didn't want to face me. Maybe I didn't want to face some of the things that would come up. Um, and I'm sure we'll talk about the session that we had to write this book, but just having to hear some of the apologies or having to think through some of the questions I knew like in the letter, this is for me. This is something that I have to take in. This is a journey that I'm also walking on. This isn't something like, Oh, I've done this already here. You can do this now. No, this is like at the same time, (laughs) we're going to walk this journey together and we're going to unearth things that maybe I thought, was healed that still needs some processing. So um, I think that the answer is just really facing me and facing some of the things that, that I still need to process. Man, appreciate, appreciate that. Uh, you just mentioned that you and Desmond had a conversation um, that brought about the book. So I'm guessing it was, it was through that, that brought about the black women. So, Share with us about that conversation and what it kind of exposed about. <laughs> Go ahead. You look like you're right. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm just listening. Go right ahead. So, I mean, the, the conversation started when we were vending and we only had Dear Black Men mm-hmm. written. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. as we were showing different women about it and they were coming to the table, they were excited about Dear Black Men and also were like, where's mine? <laughs> do you have a companion book? Like, I'd like to do this mm-hmm. with my husband or, you know, I'd like to do this with my fiance. Mm-hmm. Um, we had just a lot of people also on the flip side, like, no, I need apologies. No, I'm not apologizing right. to him. I need apologies. Right. And so it was a mixture. Really, it was just like a gathering of feelings and emotions <laughs> every time we vended. It was pure. It wasn't coerced or anything like that. People reacted and responded. Impromptu. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And sometimes we weren't ready. (laughs) And other times, um, after a little while, we kind of expected the unexpected. So I don't know. Was it two years exactly after when we decided? 
or was a little bit before two years? Let's see, 18. Nah, that's probably around the, um, so we started vending in like, um, 20. So it was around, yeah. it was around like the end of 20, like two years. Yeah. So it was, yeah, it was two years. Somewhere between October and, uh, New Year's. Okay, cool. So two years after initiating Dear Black Men online, right? Mm-hmm. A year or so after publishing the book, mm-hmm. where I just kept seeing black women in the news being assaulted. Um, being assaulted by black men, being killed by black men. And there were two instances in particular. One woman was protesting and she was killed by black men there. And there was another young lady. And I think this is the one that really did it for me. She was in New York. She was going into a store. She had her child in the car and the guy was trying to hit on her. And she was like, no, or whatever. And he assaulted her. Like, he beat her badly just for rejecting him. And it made me so angry that it was really the catalyst for, no, we really have to do this book, right? And more than that, it's like, you know, where is the love and the emotional intelligence for these Black young men out here? Where are the people who are holding these people accountable for what they're doing, right? The fact that this woman didn't spit on him, <laughs> didn't put her hands on him, just told him no, just told him no. And he found it in himself to assault this woman to the fact that she had to go to the hospital. Like it, it bothered me. Like it shattered me on the inside. And I felt like, yeah, I felt rage, to be honest with you. (laughs) I was like, we got to do something. And I'm not saying that just putting out this book will cure all of those things. But when we start having different conversations and we start calling for accountability in a different way, like we're going to have to show up differently. And that's on both of our sides, right? This is not just men be accountable. No, this is both of us be accountable. Like, how do we begin to start really honoring each of our humanity? Not just you a man, I'm a woman. No, your humanity. That's the baseline of things. And so after that, I was just like, all right, babe. I started getting like naggy after that. Babe, come on. (laughs) (laughs) Baby, we got to do this book. We got to do this book. So we, I said, okay, let's just start and write, write some stuff down that comes to mind. So we just started like in each of our phones, different affirmations, questions, apologies. And I was definitely like, babe, I need you to do the apologies because I can't. I'm, this is not about me apologizing to black women, right? This is about a black man right. <laughs> standing in the gap and really acknowledging some of the things that have happened and been done to black women that have never been apologized for. Never. So that part was like really, really, really important to me and what makes our journals different than anything else that's out there on the market there are full genuine apologies inside of here and open-ended questions that help the reader the worker step through the process to really unearth some of those things that either might be on the surface or underneath um so that was really the catalyst for dear black women 
coming into fruition just just pure rage <laughs> and just the necessity just seeing what was going on around around us and just really wanted to call attention to our need to be accountable and also our need to really know who we are and to begin to allow ourselves to be and to create these boundaries and to not allow some of the things that we have allowed in our lives because of the things that we were taught or the way that we think we should be showing up, going back to your question about like womanhood and what does that look like and what is all of that role and all of that stuff. Like at the baseline of everything, just honor my humanity. That That's it for me. Well said, well said. Um, Desmond, through those conversations, um, what kind of started clicking for you? Because I feel like just even for me personally, Sometimes, you know, our women can say things over and over and over again, and it just doesn't click. And sometimes we get defensive about it or we make excuses about certain things. So was there anything that, you know, through those conversations that really clicked for you and like, oh, now I get it kind of thing? Did you have any any of those moments? Um, I mean, I don't really listen as men sometimes. <laughs> um, how we... uh. Like, we hear you, but we're not really taking the time to, like, really, really listen. Understanding that uh, black women go through a lot. Just not reading about um, the diaspora or enslavement or just the things you read in the paper. Just, like, how they go through a lot day to day. Uh, that's what the conversations did for me, personally. And just, so I was already working on changing how I felt and how I viewed black women. But after writing the book, it just, just opened another door. Like as black men, we just, and I'm going to say it again, we really don't listen to black women. I agree. Black I women. agree. And, um, we cause a lot of pain. I'm not saying that we are in pain, but we cause a lot of pain, um, unwillingly and willingly and consciously. And I really thinking of the repercussions of it. You know, because as a black man, a lot of us have seen our mothers just be steeled, right? And we get with uh, we get with sisters, and we expect them to have that same metal. Um, and that's just not how it is. It's not. It's just not realistic. It's just not realistic. Right, right, Jewel. In your opening letter, you mentioned that uh, you were sexually assaulted by a family member growing up. Um, you were very open about you know that. Um, I feel like a lot of women and specifically black women carry that experience with them. Sometimes they speak about it. Sometimes they don't. Um, how have you kind of into adulthood got, you know, gotten healing from that experience and moved on without it allowing, you know, without it consuming you? <laughs> it has. <laughs> Let's be honest. Mm. Um, it has consumed me. Um, and I think, I think sometimes when we, we have conversations around these things, especially if you are a person who it hasn't happened to personally, um, a lot of people, and I've even had like indirect conversations about this, about family members who don't even know and their attitude towards it's like, well, can we just like get over this stuff? Like. Can we just move on? Mm -hmm. And I don't think that people understand like 
the spiritual and the psychological repercussions that that has. It's really like a ripple effect in a river that just keeps going. And even when you think it's just like low, it's still there, right? So I would have to say over time, it's almost like I have been forced to heal. Sometimes I don't think it was my own idea to just like start digging. Um, sometimes it was, it comes up in relationships, even this one, right? It comes up, um, in different conversations where I feel safe enough to share it. Like writing it inside of this book is probably the, the most open that I have been about it. My mother just found out like seven years ago. And this happened when I was like five and six, right? So imagine 30 years of carrying something and not knowing how to say anything or what to say or how to describe it or how you'll be responded to, right? And then in my 20s, something similar happened too. So it's like, this repeat cycle. So to be honest with you, it's just been like little by little. I have definitely been consumed by it, but like little by little, I get different glimpses of healing and release. Um, And I don't know if I can give you like specific things because when it comes it's just like so refreshing to me that I can release it and let it go it might be something that I'm listening to on the radio um that gives me like whether it's the word that I need the song that I need in that moment whether it's tears that I need to cry at that moment to release it or what have you um I want people to understand that healing is not a pill it's not just something you take and like, boom, it's gone. It's, it's just not mm-hmm. like healing happens on a daily basis and healing might just take a lifetime. It just doesn't mean it does. It means that for me, the intensity that it held me at when I was 10 is not the intensity that it holds me at now. Like I'm very well aware of who I am. I'm very well aware of people's behaviors. I'm very well aware of people's traumas and the things that may have led them to doing such things, right? I can look at it through a different lens, right? It does not absolve people from what they do, but I can understand it and I can look at it in a different way based on everything that I've learned over time. So um, for me personally, it is, it's a constant. It's a constant. It's a constant building up of myself. It's a constant just just staying in a place where I, I know who I am fully. And I know that whatever this person did to me at this time, at that time was not be like because of me, like <laughs> because of who I am. It was something that was going on with them personally. Right. And I was a target. So in earlier years, I wouldn't have been able to say that. I probably would have been like, F them for real. Like, that's just how I feel about it. <laughs> but now that. it's like, if I never hear their name again, if I never see their face again, it really wouldn't matter. It, it wouldn't matter to me now. It just doesn't have um, a hold on me now like it did before. But there are 
let's just call it utterings that come up every now and then. It's like those little pings, those little reminders in certain situations, you know, and I'm really thankful for um, my husband because he is my safe space. So if it comes up, I can share. I'm not afraid to share anymore. Like I can communicate it and he will listen to me, right? Even if he doesn't have an answer for me, he can listen to me. And I think a lot of women who have experienced sexual assault just needed somebody to listen and to acknowledge them. There are many women who have told and they were rejected. They were told that they were lying, right? To save face, to stay in a relationship or whatever, right? Um, that wasn't my story. I just never said anything, right? But I think it is pastime for women to be acknowledged and for men to be accountable for the things that they do. Absolutely. And um, speaking on that, I know you mentioned just talking to younger boys and raising them up properly so that these things can be prevented because that man that did that to you was once a boy. So I want to ask Desmond, um, what do you, what do you think we need to do better as men raising black boys so that these things will be less occasional and it won't be like, Oh, you had that experience too, where women are having these conversations and they're having these similar experiences. What do you, we think, what do you think we need to do as men raising, raising boys? To, to create a better man? Well, one, we uh, should do a better job of teaching black boys not to see women as objects. Um, I think that's the biggest thing. We don't, I think a lot of times as younger men, we don't see uh, what a woman can bring to us emotionally. We're only thinking of a way that we can utilize her. Um, we don't see the humanity in women a lot of times. We see it in our mother, but after our mother or our aunts or Women in our family, depending, we don't really see women as uh, as beings. Um, and because a lot of the men, I think, that have raised us before have had traumatic experiences, they push those lessons off to us as boys, so they create that divide right off the bat. Um, even if you have a mother and a father dynamic, and if their relationship isn't emotionally uh, healthy, that divide is in there, so we don't always see women as people. We see them as things, or a lot of times we see them as necessary evils in a sense. Well said, well said. Um, I definitely agree with that. All right. Um, so I wanted to get into the book a little bit. And obviously, you know, the book is on apologies, and Desmond wrote the apologies, as you mentioned. So I'll ask Desmond, um, which apology stood out to you the most? Hmm. So what comes to mind is, uh, forgive me for lying. I didn't care enough to be honest. I think as a man, it's just like second nature to us a lot of times when we're dealing with black women to lie, right? Um, our first introduction to a black woman is our mother. And depending on how she handled you is how you typically grow up and how you handle women throughout life. So if your mother was caring, and open, then you probably had a good chance to be caring and open, or you have a little, you're ahead of the curve emotionally. Um, if your mother was kind of do as I say, not as I do, mm, you got a, you got a defense, 
a defense mindset is what I think. So I'm saying that to say, as you get older and when women, a woman that you may be dating asks you a question, depending on the tone of her question, you get defensive right off the bat, even if that's not how it was intended. And if she asks too many questions, the first go-to is, you're not my mother. <laughs> um, so you feel interrogated, right? Yep, yep, yep. Um, so, so just being able to unlearn that, which is, I think is really challenging for us as black men. Because we don't, as I'm going to say it again, a lot of times we don't see women as our partners. We see them as our adversaries. Like, I got to conquer her. Because she's going to try to conquer me. Mm-hmm. At least that's my that's my perspective of it. Until you uh, realize a lot of those things just come from within. That's facts. That's facts. Um, what about Does that you? make sense? Oh, yeah, 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 for sure. For sure. I mean, I've experienced all that, so definitely <laughs> makes sense. I'm just working really, working really hard to make sense here. Being honest, I definitely, you know, have, have done some of those things. Um, f- what about you, uh, Jewel? Which, uh, which apology stands out to you the most? Um, I think that one was a, a good one. I think when he said that to me, I was just like, all right, walk away for yeah, a couple yeah, yeah. seconds. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's so many inside of here. So, so dear black women, one. forgive me for not respecting your right to say no. That one. Mm. I cannot handle your rejection. So that one right there. Right? So that was, that was a, a I big one. I didn't scroll to the book. Go, go, go to the book a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> that was, that was a, this one. That one right here. This so one. This one right. Forgive me for breaking your spirit and calling it love. Hmm. That really spoke to me, um, mm. right? Because as a man, a lot of times we, so you're supposed to do what I tell you, do what I tell you, right? But do you even do what you tell what, what you tell yourself? Hmm. And you know why am I supposed to do what I tell you? You know, and then, yeah. please. I want to say also, I, I think we talked about it a little bit in the last interview, but like reading more of Bell Hooks mm-hmm. makes me. Um, have scholarly words to put to some of this stuff. Like we know this, is, <laughs> right? <laughs> this is our experience, but why this is our experience um, is what I was looking for. And she talks about patriarchy. She talks about white supremacy and internalized white supremacy. Right. So at some point when black people were coming into a space where they did not have to be enslaved anymore, right? Black men wanted the same things that white men had. They wanted power, right? But what did that power come with? My subjugation, right? Me being lower, right? There was no there, there was no compassion and care, right, at a high level. That is not to say that everyone who was under that time period experienced that. But the actual laws and policies, the culture of that time being ingrained because that's what they saw. Okay. Well, they got money. They got power. You know, they got slaves. So, you know, that's the way that we, you know, do this thing. But it's, it's had like really bad repercussions on us. And it also takes away from you. Like patriarchy is about like ruling. And having this power and subjugating somebody, right? But you don't have the opportunity to receive care. 
or to be caring, right? That's not something that is taught to you as important. It's not be a man, like from a, a, from a boy. Men don't do that. I'm six. Like, why are we talking about manhood at six? <laughs> so it's ingrained in the teachings how you should be. And in that, I have not seen a lot of popular culture show you should love her. You should honor her. You should respect her. I haven't seen that. It's really like, hold your own. Be a man. Be strong. Right? And usually that is the person that rules with fear and not with love. And again, we come back to these relationships where we want to have these loving, healthy relationships. But where is that? <laughs> How are you going to do that if you, if you weren't taught that? So that's where we come back to that breaking your spirit, right? I was taught to be powerful, to rule with fear. Like, how are you going to show me love, compassion, grace, and all of these things if you weren't taught that? And so all of these things is really a peeling back of all of the layers. Where did this thought process come from? Why am I doing these things? Where did this belief system come from? Who taught me that? Why did I buy into that? What was the what results of me buying into that? Is it giving me what I need? And if it isn't, being able to like start detaching ourselves from these things and filling it with things that are really purposeful and productive for the life that we want to see. Hmm. Well said, well said. Um, I think a lot of that stuff too is so like we sometimes as men don't realize, you know, some of the things that we do that, that breaks women's spirits. And like you mentioned, it's part of being a man, like staying firm to your word and making sure that she does this and does that. And, um, yeah, I think those two things are very powerful, especially as well. The saying no component too, because like you just mentioned, like sometimes we have an issue with rejection. Like, how's she going to say no to me? Or, you know what I'm saying? How's she going to deny me? And, and, um, we get, we get our feelings crushed when we get rejected, not knowing that you're dealing with a human being that has the ability and the choice to say no. So definitely appreciate that. Um, questions, which, uh, which question stood out to you guys? You know, I, well, we'll, we'll go with, um, we'll go with Jewel first, which, uh, question stood out to you the most? probably this one that I wrote in. Um, Dear Black women, when did you learn to love and accept your body? Um, Yeah, I wrote a lot inside of that. I know one of these questions. I'm not sure if it was that one. But I read the question and answered it in a totally different way. <laughs> I think it was the one that said, Dear Black women, um, I think it's like, when did you learn to accept yourself? And the first words that came out of my, out of my pen were, I haven't. And when I saw it, I was like, mm. but I tell everyone who uses these books, do not filter yourself. Do not try to stop yourself. Stay in the moment. Right. And right. And so I think at that time, I was just like wrestling with like who I was versus 
who I felt like people wanted me to be. And coming into a place where there's this just internal knowing of who I am. Like since I wrote that, I, I know I've grown a lot. Because now when people say like, Jewel is Jewel, right? Jewel is not going to be in a place that she doesn't want to be in. She's not going to say yes to something that she doesn't want to do. Like there is, um, first of all, a power in being honest with yourself. And I think being honest with myself and saying like, Jewel, you haven't accepted yourself. And then going through deeper questions like, well, why don't you accept yourself? And what are the things that you don't accept about yourself? And why are they unacceptable? What makes it unacceptable? And this is what I love about this book is that you might get one question, but as you're writing, other questions come up inside, like to help you dig deeper. So for me, just being able to go through that process was very cathartic. Good word, good word, ding, 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 good word. (laughs) Was very cathartic and um, to really start getting very clear about what I was allowing to be my barometer of acceptance and did it come from me? If I know my internal worth, which is priceless, right? All of us are priceless. Like there is no comparing. I'll never have to compare because there is nobody else like me. And when we come to the place where like we really know that, there's nothing that anybody can say that will deter us from feeling acceptable because we'll have that inner knowing. So I think just from reading that question and being honest with myself about it just helped me to gain like more clarity around what I was allowing to be an influence in my life um, to make me feel unacceptable. So powerful, powerful. Thank you for sharing that. Um, Desmond, what about you? Which question stood out to you? Uh, when you look in the mirror, what do you see? Mm. Now, as men, we all, we see women and we tell them we'd be beautiful a lot of times and we expect them to believe it, but you know, we never really asked them, what do you say? Oh, I ain't going to say we don't ask. We don't really listen to the answer. <laughs> you know, because sometimes even if I see my wife is beautiful, um, she may not see herself that way because she's always been who she is. So, like, just what do they see when they see that self? That's powerful. That's powerful. Um, for me, one of the ones that I highlighted was who do you need to forgive in order to heal? And... You know, I've, I've seen, and this is not just for black women. I know you mentioned this in Dear Black Men as well, that mm-hmm. same question. And I think mm-hmm. that a lot of times we carry pain from previous relationships and childhood experiences onto our partner at the moment and things like that. So I think that is a deep question that, you know, we should all ask ourselves, not just black women, but all of us, who do we need to forgive in order to heal? So it made me think a lot. Mm. You know, I like to think, you know, and you saying that there are a lot of things from childhood that happens that happens in a glimpse and it stays with you for a very long time. I think in listening to my wife, I think I was about before I met my wife and I was about like 30, 31. I had this moment where I realized I was dating this woman and I think her father um, may have sexually assaulted or something. and She still was going to go to his funeral. 
Um, she was adamant about going to his funeral. But in that moment, and the reason I bring it, I don't think as men, we realize how much um, sex is really, sex or sexual act has really done things to our women in a negative way. And then when they grow up, only thing we want is sex, right? And we're not understanding like this moment or these moments that were happening in their childhood, though it was so long ago, it was so profound for them. And I only really think we take that into account of like how many women have really been molested or sexually assaulted or touched, whatever word you want to call it. I don't think we realize how detrimental that has been to our sisters. Yeah, well said. I'm like thinking about that right now because I know so many women that experience that. And right. And we as men like put it in the back of our heads. Like you say, we hear it, but we don't really listen. Cause right. you know, when we get to that whole thing of like, well, why don't you want to do this and then the third? Right. <laughs> you know? Right. So Desmond has a, a, a phrase that he says all the time. And he said, it's not that you don't care. You don't care enough. That part. I was about to speak. <laughs> I was just about to it, speak. I mean, that. it's, it's the truth. Sometimes when you have tunnel vision of what you want and how you're going to get to what you want, like everything else is really an obstacle. All right, how are we just going to move that out the way so I can get to what I want, right? And this is what we're talking about when we say um, getting out of the place where we objectify women, right? Or we're looking at women as a commodity, right? Whole being. Like, I, I just don't think we are connected enough to ourselves that we honor the next person. I think there is such a disconnection even inside of ourselves that we can't even connect with the next person in the way that we should. And this is why, like, in all of these books, it starts with us. Like, where is your disconnection? I think about, like, my disconnection from my body because of sexual assault. I wanted to be disconnected so much. (laughs) I really did. And even getting to the place where I'm now 37 and I'm like, I need to reconnect. Right. Because though these things happen to me, I deserve pleasure. I deserve to be sensual. Right now, I got to censor myself because somebody has dishonored me. I can't have what I want because somebody has has taken something from me. No, like all of that stuff was in me before and I should have been able to come to the place where all of that stuff bloomed and blossomed at the time that it was supposed to. But now at this age, it's like, okay, I have to consciously like make room and make space, you know, to be the fullness of who I am and getting back in connection with my body, you know, with spirit, with all of those things just to to make sure that I am like whole. And I think a lot of us are just walking around like completely disconnected from our being. And that's why we can't connect on the level that we're supposed to. Like, it's almost like we out here walking around like droids and, and not really in full consciousness of like who we are. And until we really, in my opinion, until we get to that place, it's going to be really, really hard for us to connect in the way that that we can, that we know we can. You know, if I may hear my wife say disconnect, I think about us as people, men and women alike, right? 
we are so thinking about a body. We we will allow somebody to have sex with us or have their way with our body before we allow them to drive our car. <laughs> um, and just her saying disconnect. I had to think about that. Like you know, uh, hella hot water. You will not let somebody drive your car, but you quick to want them to allow you to have run of their body. Like that just yeah disconnection. Disconnection. And it shows like value. Yes. Right? So we're reading in this book or listening to this book called Rest is Resistance by Trisha Hersey. And she talks about like capitalism, the structure of capitalism, how we value like money and things so much. But where is the teaching about valuing yourself? Right? Your being has no place in a capitalist society. At all. You are not the one of value. What you produce is a value. But you, the person, the being, is not a value. And this is what we've heard all of our lives. So why why should we value each other? Because subconsciously we don't value anything but the things we work for. Right. Money. Cars. Gucci. Status. Right. All of these things that show status, like those are the things that we're running for. But the thing of value is like developing yourself. And the thing of value that you need to produce these things you don't value, right? You need life um, to produce these things. And I don't think think we really realize that. I think we don't value life because it's too plentiful. Hmm. Man, you guys are giving us some gems today, man. <laughs> Definitely a lot to think about. Um, so, th- uh, what about affirmations? Um, mm-hmm. What stands out to you guys with the affirmations? So th- uh, we'll start with Desmond. Dear black <laughs> woman, I respect you. Mm. You know, and this is just a Desmond thing. I think respect or just saying that to another person carries more weight than you could say to anything to a person other than when you believe in them. I think when you say you respect a person, it means more. To when you, it means more to a person's soul than you tell them that you love them. Because there's a lot of us that have people that love us, we love, and we don't necessarily respect them, or they don't <laughs> respect us. Um, but telling a person that you respect them, or I believe in you, I think those are two undervalued and under underrated uh, things you could say to a person and really get um, different results from them. Mm-hmm. Didn't you say like uh, who was it? The root word of respect or something means to see them. Yes. Yeah. So etymology, right? So I'm trying to get more into etymology, right? <laughs> or what words really mean, or where they originated, and to say respect in some in some languages means to see you. So saying a per- saying to a person you respect them is telling them that you see them. Because most time when you respect a person, think about it. You don't even want to look at them. So, you know, and, and in that context, I think I said that right. Mm-hmm. In that context, I can see that. So saying you respect or you believe in a person holds tremendous value that I don't think we really understand the power of those words. And even if you can't say you respect them, you can say, I see you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And even then just like colloquialism, mm-hmm. like I see you, mm-hmm. I see you, right? If you're doing good, mm-hmm. people say, I see you, Right. It's something about being seen. Like, that's also honor. Like, to me, that's honoring me. Like, you're seeing my whole being. 
Like you're acknowledging me, not a part of me. True. Like me. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Even on the flip side of that, when you catch somebody doing something that uh, they may be ashamed of, or as the folks would say, got no business doing, and you'd be like, "I see you." <laughs> like it, would, it would cause it would cause something in here, right? Um, so in saying that, being seen is everything, right? Uh, and then top that off with being heard, or as I say, listen, because a lot of people hear you, but a lot of people don't listen to you. Mm-hmm. See, like right now, what you don't, you listening right now. A lot of people just hear you, and it's not the same thing. Even though we, it comes from the same instrument, it is not the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, if you look up listen, one of the definitions for listen is to obey. And mm-hmm. obey means you're going to do something, right? So when you listen, that's inclining action. When I'm hearing you, that's just like, oh, I heard, I heard that noise up the block. Mm-hmm. I thought that, right, I heard, to I heard. take notice. Right, right. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, yeah. Drew, what about you? What's your favorite affirmation on there? So my favorite affirmation, I say this at our vending table all of the time to women who come over because it resonates with them so much. It's dear black women, give yourself permission to rest. Mm-hmm. And every woman that I say that to is like, oh, my God, I know I need to. I can't find the time to. How am I doing? <laughs> um, but it's a real thing. Like, it's a real thing. Thing and to begin to unpack, well, what does rest look like to you? How can you begin to rest, right? Um, and to really have a conscious conversation about that, because I think we um, <laughs> fantasize about it, but we don't put it into practice. Like, oh, if I just had a few minutes, well, once you get the few minutes, you fill it up with five more tasks, right? Instead of actually doing the thing that we've been wanting to do forever, whether it's just sitting down on the porch, whether it's dancing, what? As you said, <laughs> um, when, what was my experience growing up seeing black women, a lack of self-care. Mm. Very rarely did I see black women thinking about my mother, thinking about my mothers and thinking about my grandmother. Um, they never really seemed to do anything they enjoyed. Hmm. They always were doing something for someone else. Like, and as I can think about it, my my mom, so my mom, I, she never seemed like she did anything. She was, but I can remember my grandmother. She liked to drink. <laughs> um, well, she cursed everybody else, so she probably was doing something she enjoyed every day. But <laughs> um, she liked to drink or you know smoke, right? So that was probably the only thing that I seen that they did that they got some reprieve was to smoke. Hmm. Um, just nothing on a daily. Like you know, my wife was skating. Or we'll go walking and skating together, or she'll go dancing. Very rarely did I, or that I can recall, that I seen any of my mothers or a lot of the black women that were caretakers uh, take time for themselves. And I think it's so important because, like, just even recently, we have conversations, and I'm like, we got all this life, and if all I can ever talk about is like these bills that mm. need to get paid. It's a problem. It's not living. Like literally I am taking every moment of the day to worry about money. That is not life. And it's really exhausting. And I don't believe that any one of us was born to just talk about money all day or get in the bag all day. There is nothing wrong with being abundant 
There's nothing wrong with having wealth. I'm saying that these things should not consume us. I'm saying what happened to our interpersonal relationships? What happened to us like coming together and sitting down and shooting the shit and whatever it is, right? That replenished us, that restored us, that, that made us feel well. Like, where is that? And I want more of that. Well, we can see the problem. So men spent a long time just wanting to work and provide and provide and protect, provide, right? And then we did that, but then we forgot the balance in it because we devalued what a woman would do if she didn't work or she didn't make as much, right? So now all she wants to do is work, 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 work. I'm saying that to say it has caused what Jewel just said, just a love for money. Like nobody has the balance of, okay, so maybe I should take care of the family. Okay, so there's just none of that. It's just none of it. I like, just, I think we've been consumed. On both, then that's what's happening on both sides. Yeah. All we worried about is what we can, what we can make, and what we can spend. Yeah, that is facts, man. I'm definitely tuning back to this interview. So many <laughs> gems. Um, one of my favorite affirmations was never be afraid to clearly communicate your wants, needs, and desires. Um. I've met so many women that not not just in relationships, just in spaces, mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. black women in spaces mm-hmm. where whether it be the workplace or their personal life, where they felt that they could not communicate what they wanted or needed. Um, and it just hindered them so much. So I think that is such a powerful affirmation um, to just keep repeating in your head that, yeah. you know, you deserve to have what you want and you should express that. And not just hold it in or out of fear of whatever. There's nothing that yeah. could be worse than holding that in, you know? Absolutely. I agree with that. Cause I mean, I've definitely seen that in, in spaces, especially when I was in engineering, being the only black woman in spaces, uh, in a, a white male dominated space, right? Just wanting to be, um, more assertive. I mean, after a while, I was just like, forget it. I'm going to say what I'm going to say. <laughs> Um, but I think it's still a part of our upbringing, mm. right? She talked about those roles again. What is a woman supposed to be, right? She's supposed to be ladylike and docile and all of these things. Like, that's not who we are. That's not who we are. Like, innately, that is not who we are. <laughs> As I've gotten older and more experienced, when they say a woman's supposed to be ladylike, what well, damn man created the rules of what a woman is supposed to be lady like? So how the hell is that lady like when you, a man created what is lady like? You're not even lady like. Oh, f- <laughs> and that goes back to acceptable, right. right? Somebody made the rules. A man made the rules about what is acceptable. He didn't ask her, well, what is right for you? What do you feel is right for you? And goes back to being. We should not be threatened by people being. You know, and, 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 and in saying that, part of the problem is, as men, we don't even want to be with ourselves. So <laughs> we just project that on to a woman, what she should and shouldn't do. And you haven't even figured out how you're supposed to be. But if I spend my time telling everybody else what they're supposed to be, I don't have to focus on me. That's just my take on it. Well said. Um, hence is why I just think when we are in relationships and we're with we're in a relationship with somebody that knows nothing of inner peace, you're not going to get no peace in that relationship. 
And I don't think we really realize that. That's why it's important to have a relationship with yourself so you can know what kind of person you are here. Because if you always bounce around from relationship to relationship, you focus all your energy out here. But as I've gotten older and started listening more to just myself and things I read, peace starts in here. We think we can change the environment and then it's going to get peaceful in here. No, it needs to get peaceful in here first. And then it can be peaceful out here. I don't think we get that. Hence is why we don't get a lot of peace or harmony within the relationships that we're in because we're not really peaceful people. And I can only speak from personal experience. When I got more peaceful, I got more peace out the relationships. Hmm. Well said. Well said. Um, I heard before we wrap up, um, I wanted to, of course, get into our what's your favorite activity, identifying a few of your favorite things. So being that we are on the topic of black women, um, what is your favorite show or movie um, concentrating on black women? So I think we talked about this. We just want to take Girls Trip right yeah. now. Yeah. <laughs> so for movies, we're going to say Girls Trip. Yes. I don't know um, if I've seen Girls Trip. Oh. Yeah. So oh, Queen Latifah, Jada Pinkett, Regina Hall, and Tiffany Haddish, right? It's definitely a gem. Um, I liked it because it showed women in all different types of life, right? In all different stages who had endured and maintain their friendship over many years, right? And not that everything was completely perfect, um, but they worked through it. I think, I think seeing more things where like people actually have real problems <laughs> and seeing how your friends come and surround you and support you, but also call you on your stuff when you're doing too much. Um, or when you're not being authentic or, you know, I think those are, those types of movies are really important because I feel like that's what real friendship is. We're going to have fun, but we're also going to have like challenging moments too. And be open to like, when I say that you're doing too much, or maybe you're not really taking care of yourself, or you should probably look at this from a different angle, right? Or are you honoring yourself in this situation? So, um, I liked it. It was, it was a lot of fun to watch and I could see a lot of things in, in the relationships that were displayed. Definitely got to check that out. Uh, so Desmond, you agree with that or you had something else? I agree with that, but it's a painful movie, but I like for color girls. I've seen that one. That one was, um, and I only yeah. say for color girls because it really, it really changed my perception of, um, how I was as a man toward women. Um, so it was a benchmark for me. So that's when I said, I'm, I'm with the wife where girl's trip is definitely it. Right. Um, but for color girls, just cause it was like a moment of, um, clarity for me. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely agreed out. That was a good one. You mentioned a lot throughout the interview, um, jewel of rest. And, um, we mentioned focusing on, you know, self healing and, um, taking care of yourself. So, what are some of your favorite things to do when you feel like overwhelmed as far as self-care? Mm-hmm. Um, I like to be near a body of water. Um, I love being by the ocean or some kind of lake. We go to the reservoir that's near our house all of the time. So um, it's very peaceful. I like being in nature. I like going to my African dance class. Um, we talked about being disconnected from our bodies. It's the way that I reconnect. Um, with my body it's the way that I um, heal the little girl inside of me um, because she wanted to dance so much when she was younger 
Um, so I honor her in that, in that space, um, to dance as much as I possibly can. Um, I love to skate, which for me is like another form of dancing. Those activities make me feel the most free. And so I like to do them as much as possible. And your favorite experience that made you proud to be a black woman? Mm, This is a good question. (laughs) You know, I might just say writing this book. (laughs) Um, And this is probably my proudest moment because when I was younger, some of my early years in school, um, I was in Prince George's County. And I was around a lot of white people. So I always felt different. Um, and I don't know if I wanted to pay attention to who I was, really. I kind of just wanted to be like invisible and just move through the spaces. It wasn't until I probably went to, um, to Morgan State University where I began to feel proud. Um, of who I was, um, and seeing so many beautiful black people on campus and our experiences and us just being free. Um, but writing Dear Black Women with my husband is probably the most intentional and the most freeing and rewarding process for me because when we are at that table or when we get reviews from black women, who say this changed my life. Like that you saw me. Like I didn't know I needed this. Um, all of that fear that I talk about inside of the the letter from the author is like it just flies away <laughs> every time I hear that. It's like, okay, good job, Jewel, for pressing through, right? Good job for like being scared and doing it anyway. Um and just it's just, it de- it never gets old for me to have a woman come to the table and tear up, right? Um, on like one of the affirmations, and this was Desmond's affirmation, so let's be clear about that. <laughs> one of the affirmations that a young lady just recently came to the table, she opened the book, and we always encourage people to flip through the book and see what resonates with them. But one of the first things she opened was, dear black woman, it is an honor and a privilege to love you. And she was like, oh, my God, I'm, I'm going to get emotional. Oh, my goodness. And she just started crying. And, and just to be there to, like, support her in that moment was everything because I know what it looked like for us to be in that room for a few hours, just like having it out about what was going to go in this book. Right. And just throwing things at the wall and see what stuck and to see black women feel nurtured, supported and seen makes me feel so good. So I thank you for that question because I haven't thought about that <laughs> before. But that really is that really is my proudest moment. Um, just to companion that, Desmond, um, what's been kind of your favorite life gem that anybody has given you, like on Black women? Damn, 
I had studied the black woman for a minute. <laughs> um, I think uh, I don't. I, I think a lot of women have said it, but I'm gonna just say, just treating it like a tree, treating it like a garden. The more you put in, the more you get out. I think we, as men, put in too much negativity. This is why we always get our negativity, but we blame it on the sisters, and we don't really realize what we're putting into them. Be it spiritually, be it economically, be it financially, be it emotionally or physically. You know, I don't think we as men really take inventory like what are we putting into when we think she's supposed to come whole. But did you come whole? Hmm. Um, and I've been guilty of, I've been definitely guilty of that. But I've also been guilty of, uh, Putting water in the garden too. As you can see my garden right here. Let me show you my garden real quick. <laughs> um, yes, but, but just really, uh, what you put in is what you get out. Like all yeah. of these sayings that I heard when I was a kid that made no damn sense mm-hmm. and that were just around since the beginning of the time. And I don't know if they mean what I have come to learn for them to make sense about, but what you put into a black woman is what you will get out of. So if you put in pain, you can get pain. You can get your pain and her pain. So that's pain times two. But if you put in some love, you can get pain. You gonna get love time times two too. You can get love times two also. But I don't think we focus on that. Um, and if I could tell black men anything, you gotta lead by example. And I ain't always just building a house. Sometimes that's saying I'm sorry. Sometimes that's how can I serve you. Sometimes that's I fucked up. Um, and if we do those things, I feel like we'll start getting a better return on our money. ROI. <laughs> <laughs> got return it. on investment. Got it. Got it. Got it. Thank you for that. Um, so it seems like you guys are creating just an empire of healing the black family. So I wanted to just ask, uh, what is the legacy that you hope to create with dear black women? Um, these legacy questions are really good. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest with you, if we can just multiply the amount of women that we reach and the amount of responses that we get, like the ones we've had at our vending table, for women to just feel seen, heard, acknowledged, vindicated, um, that's really enough for us. Like one thing I'm really clear about is that these books are the start of the journey. Um, I tell people all the time that these books are life companions. You may not fill out this book this year. You might not even do it in the next two years, but it's going to call back to you, right? When it's time. And so my, my only goal is that we just continue to be a space of healing and restoration and awakening and liberation for everyone who comes in contact with the book. That's it. So, so I won't be profound at this moment. I won't be <laughs> profound. Um, so yeah, yeah. So listen to, listening to my wife. First, I feel like our books are keys to liberation. Um, so I would like to think of us as freedom fighters. Mm-hmm. I like that. 
Everybody knows what a freedom fighter is, so I don't even need to go into that. <laughs> but I like to think of think of us as freedom fighters. I could definitely see that. I could definitely see that. Um, for those that want to get the book or want more information and everything about the work that you guys do, where can they find you? Sure. Go to www.dearblackwomenbook.com. There it is. And then to leave off with, we usually ask guests for the favorite quote and what it means to them. But um, I really wanted your husband to finish off by reading the ode to black women, if he doesn't mind. I should have remembered this. I got to read it after (laughs) the book now. (laughs) So dear black women, you're more than enough. When the going gets rough, it's in you we trust. You are hope amongst the desperation. You are water. Fluid in any situation, the world's salvation, the mother of liberation. You are God on this earth, the womb from which all life was birthed. Know your worth. Dear black women, forgive our past transgressions, the microaggressions, the lack of protection. Seeing you not as a supreme being, but a mere possession. You are more than the circumference of your behind. You are divine. One of a kind, love sublime. Man, um, it has been an honor to interview you guys and have you on the program. Uh, definitely we'll be reviewing this. Um, I think we all should be reviewing this, uh, especially those of us struggling with our black women, better mm-hmm. understanding, you know? Um, so listeners definitely share the program. Thank you for listening. Um, I think we need to hear it. Black women need to hear it. Black men need to hear it. Black children need to hear us honoring black women as well. And we can prevent Mm -hmm. some of these adults that come out, um, not understanding the value of black women. So appreciate the book. Appreciate, you know, you guys coming on and sharing everything with us today. Um, Thank you for coming through and thank you for listening, listeners. And of course, remember, your mind is the most powerful tool in the universe. Therefore, if you can think it, you can do it. If you believe in it, you can be it. And if you fight for it, you can have it. The world is yours. This has been your host, Mr. G, and I'll see you next time on Mastermind. Turn this thing into gold, see this is alchemy They never know, never